How many are excited about Good Friday service? I am, number one, because in the four, year, four years of this church, we haven't had a Good Friday service yet. Amen? Last year, we just got the building, and we were having so much trouble getting everything, you know, organized with just getting the building that we didn't get to do all that. But now that we have the opportunity, I think it's going to be great to have a Good Friday service. And I'm happy that Kyle's preaching it and I get to just listen. Amen. Preachers need to hear preaching too, okay? I'm just telling you. Oh. All right, tonight we are going to be talking about the doctrine of God. Is this too loud or you keep putting your hand over your ear? Okay, okay. <clears throat> Tonight we're going to be talking about the doctrine of God. I told you after we went through Genesis 1 that we were going to talk about the doctrine of God. But while I was thinking about teaching on the doctrine of God, I wanted to first give you a nugget of information that will help you. Uh, it's go down to chapter 2. Keep going. Not paragraph two, chapter two. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Till you see right there. We're not going to start that yet because I have something else that I want to talk to you about first. We live in a day and an age that once you start becoming biblically literate, people get offended at you. When you talk about different aspects of teaching in the Bible, you know, we talk about uh, hermeneutics. Anybody know what hermeneutics means? It's a very long word for a very easy subject, interpreting the Bible, okay? That's all hermeneutics means. It means interpreting the Bible, and every single Christian does it, okay? Now, correct interpretation of the Bible is letting the Bible interpret the Bible, and not me. Amen. Not superimposing my belief into scripture, but what scripture is actually teaching. Amen. There's another word for for uh, that we throw around in in learning the Bible, and it's called exegesis. And people get really offended when you say the word exegesis. They're like, what does that mean? It means explaining scripture. That's all that that means. Exegesis. Jesus did it. Think of the time when Jesus told them, you've read the scriptures. It says this, and they spoke of me. He is explaining to them what the scriptures meant, right? Think about the law. He said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Am I telling you right? He's explaining what these scriptures mean. You have heard that it has been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then he goes on to explain the real heart of the law and what the law really was meant for, right? He wasn't making a new law. He was explaining what was already written. Amen? We also have another word that people freak out when they hear it. Theology. And that's what I wanted to talk about tonight because every Christian is a theologian. You're either a good one or you're a bad one. Amen. But you are a theologian. Theology. This word induces panic in some and absolute euphoria for people like Kyle. <laughs> okay. And the reality is Theology is not... Anybody know what theology means? The, huh? The study of God, the study of God's word. Amen, amen. Both those answers are correct. The study of God, the study of God's word. Because correct theology is not based on what I think about God. Correct theology is what does the Bible teach about God. Amen. Not what I want to believe, you know, not fat, naked angel babies on harps and all that stuff, because that's not what cherubim look like, okay? You, you ever heard the word cherub, and you, they talk about the cherubs that Michelangelo drew? 
That is not what a cherub looks like, okay? A cherub is got six wings, eyes all over him, four faces, right? This is a cherub, a cherubim. That's what they look like. They're really scary, okay? Like if you saw one, you would do just what the people at the tomb of Christ did, fall on your face like dead people because you saw this terrifying. Every time an angel shows up in scripture, what does the angel say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why does he have to say that? Because he looks terrifying, okay? He is scary. That's why he shows up and says, don't be afraid while you're peeing yourself, okay? <laughs> because that's what you would be doing. I would. Okay, y'all can be tough all you want. But if I saw one, I'm going to pee myself, okay? I hope, I hope I got the pins anywhere close, okay? I'm just telling you. The word theology literally means the study of God. This word theology comes from a Greek word, theologa. That's right, theologa, okay, or theologia, however you want to say it. Kyle knows a lot better Greek than I do. But the root of the word theos means God, and logia means an utterance or a saying, okay? And it's closely related to the word logos, which we already talked about being the word of God, right? When, it called, when they call Jesus, when John in John 1 calls Jesus the word of God, it's using logos as the word of God. Amen? So when we're talking about this, the word logos and logia are the same word. Uh, logos, logos means Discourse, reason, or word. Now, Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary defines theology as this. The study of religious faith, practice, and experience. Now, that's not the end of that definition. It says, especially, and I want you to take note of this, the study of God and of God's relationship to the world. That, in a nutshell, is theology. Who is God? And how does he interact with his creation? That's theology. That's what we're studying. And we don't derive that from our own. We don't derive that from our own mind and just go pull things out of the air. Well, I like that God would be all loving and all kind, which he is. He is loving and kind, but he is also just and vengeful and wrathful. Those are all parts of who God is, too. Amen. Just like you. You know why? People say, well, I'm not that away. Well, you go and hurt one of their kids or you do something wrong to their family and you'll find out a whole other side of them. Amen? We're made in the image and likeness of God and we share certain attributes with God, not to the same or fullest measure that God has, but we do. Amen? Uh, number two, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines theology as a theological theory or system, a distinctive body of theological opinion, okay? Now, when we talk about Christian or biblical theology, I wanted to give you a little background. Theology based on the Bible is not just what biblical theology is. Some people go, oh, you know, theology should be based on the Bible. Yes, every Christian denomination is based on the Bible, okay? Now, the problem is not everybody's using the same measuring stick and people pick and choose what they want and what they don't want because everybody wants the part where God is love and everybody wants the part where God blesses. But nowadays what we have is people that want God who loves and they want a God who blesses, but they don't want the God who holds them accountable for sin. They don't want a God that actually commands change in their life. They don't want a God who actually expects a commitment when you're born again. Amen? Therefore, we have people teaching half of the gospel, and we have people coming to, quote-unquote, faith to a false idea of who God is. Amen? Now, theology based on the Bible, specifically theology that seeks to derive its categories of thought and the norms of its interpretation 
from the study of the Bible as a whole. That's what we try to do in biblical Christian theology. We try to draw our ideas and thoughts and norms of what we believe out of the Bible. Amen? Not from myself, not from what I think, but from what the Bible teaches. Amen? Now I have a little uh, paragraph that I wrote that I want to read to you. More specifically, biblical or orthodox Christian theology is the theology of the Bible. Now this is an important point. You may want to write this down and think about this. Not my interpretation of the Bible. That is not our own theology, but that of the biblical writers themselves. It is their convictions about God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and God's work in human history as revealed in the writings of Scripture. That's what biblical theology is. Amen? Not what I think, not what I think they meant, but what they meant. Every passage in this Bible has an original intent. Amen? Has an original meaning, has a meaning that we should not miss. Amen. I can think of I can think of one uh, scripture that gets taken out of context that we've talked about over and over and over. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That verse, we we went through this as a church. That church is taken or that scripture is taken out of context. The context of that scripture is talking to a brother or sister who has fallen into sin. And then wherever two or more gather to help this brother and talk to them and try to get them to see their need for change, he's in the midst of that. Not just wherever I'm at in the store, I'm in the grocery store and all of a sudden I want to have church in the grocery store. That's not the point of that scripture. That's not what that scripture is saying. Now is God everywhere at all times? Yes. Is God glorified with you buying tithe, de tithe detergent? No. Okay. You buy your tithe detergent, you go home and wash your clothes. It's not a glorifying God kind of thing. Amen. So we've got to be understanding that the, the meaning of that text is not derived from my interpretation, but what they meant when they said it. Amen. Uh, this requires careful, and I already, taught, already told you what this word means. But this requires careful hermeneutics or interpretation of the Bible. This requires me to look at the Bible and say, is this what the Bible teaches as a whole? And is this what this scripture in the midst of this chapter, in the midst of this book, is trying to teach me? Amen? Because we do this far too often to our own detriment. We'll believe one verse says one thing, even though that's not what it's teaching. How about this verse that's being taken out of context? And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, chances are you heard, you heard that verse taught that God is going to supply every Christian's need all the time for, for every time, no matter what. First of all, the context of this scripture is being spoken to Christians in the service of God proclaiming the gospel missionaries Paul's writing this letter to people who are proclaiming the gospel and that's the context of him saying that so he's saying in your work for the Lord my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus because this is his work amen God does not promise Lamborghinis and and helicopters and, you know, million-dollar bank accounts to every Christian. That is a lie. Amen? Now, will God take care of you? Yes. Jesus said, are you not much more worth, are you not worth much more than uh, the sparrows of the air who do, they don't either sow or reap or gather into barns, but your heavenly Father takes care of them, right? I'm not saying God won't take care of you. What I'm saying is God never said you'll never have poor people. Matter of fact, he said the opposite. Jesus said the poor you'll always have. Amen? Come on. Let's be real. So, systematic theology of all kinds and confessions and catechisms 
and churches who give their and in the assemblies of God they don't call it a systematic theology in, in the assemblies of God they don't call it a catechism they don't call it a confession of faith but what they do call it is what the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God right these are what they believe this is their theology put into words amen and every single church does this every one of them there isn't one church on all the planet that doesn't do it even the christian church who says they stay away from all of that still has a doctrine and a theology that they believe right <laughs> so what do systematic theologies confessions catechisms seek to do they seek to formulate an orderly rational coherent account of the doctrines of the Christian faith. They try to put into perspective biblical theology about God and his relationship to the world. Amen? The reason I gave you all of that is because people freak out when you say, I'm going to start teaching on the doctrine of God. They're like, well, you can't tell me what to believe about God. I'm not telling you what to believe about God. I'm telling you what the Bible teaches about God. Amen? This isn't what Kevin believes about what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches about God. Amen? Now we're going to see if this book and, and that screen match up, okay? <laughs> it's one way to test it, right, Kyle? Right out of the gate. <clears throat> this is chapter 2 of the 1689 Baptist Confession, it says this. Paragraph one. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God. Can we get an amen and hallelujah? Who is the substance, whose substance is in and of himself. What does this mean? His substance is in and among of himself. It means God is self-existent. God doesn't need any outside force for him to exist. God has always existed. God will always exist. God didn't never have a beginning and he's never going to have an end. Amen. And I want you to notice. See that number one right there? If you read the first sentence. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God. And it says number one. Those two scriptures are references that you can go and look at. To prove that verse. So what we're going to do is we're going to go look at those two scriptures. First of all, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 4 and 6. Let's go look at it, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you guys to have an understanding of why it's important for us to do this. Number one, here's the number one reason. If you ask somebody, well, what, you, what do you think about God, right? Most people will give you some generic answer. Do you realize that, do you want me to turn those heaters down? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was checking on you. I love you. <laughs> 200 years ago, if you asked a Sunday school kid what they believed about God, they would have a far better, far more profound, and a deeper, deep, more deeply rich theological answer than most adults today. The reality is we're not teaching our children these things anymore. We just give them patent little cue cards and say, oh, just believe Jesus saves you, and that's it. There's a whole Bible here that's meant to instruct me, to help me to grow in my faith and my walk with God, amen? They need more than little patent cue cards. They need discipled. They need to learn what it is the Bible teaches about God, 
Amen. That's why my kids are here every Sunday night and every Wednesday night when I could leave them home. But the reality is they need this. Amen. You need this. I need this. First Corinthians chapter eight. And I think it said six, right? Four, four through six. Uh, am I in the right spot? Is it first Corinthians? Or second? Okay. Therefore, to eat, uh, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in the heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, lords, yet... For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. Amen. Now, this deals with the first half of this sentence. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God. Now, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Amen? Both of these verses back that very first sentence up. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God. Period. And that's not the end of it, okay? They could have put a whole bunch of verses in there. They're just giving you a list for this whole paragraph. See all the numbers through that paragraph? Those are verses that tie to the statements of faith about God. Amen? Now let's read a couple more. Whose substance is in and of himself, infinite in being, and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself. That's an interesting one. Let's go to let's go to three. Scroll down there, Matt, so we can see verses for three. Go to Exodus three fourteen. Since we're already in the Old Testament, let's flip back to Exodus chapter three, verse fourteen. Moses, let's read verse 13 also to give some context. Then Moses said to God, if I am to, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and asked, they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, that the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Now, does anybody know what the word I am means? Go back up, Matt. Stop. There you go. <clears throat> does anybody know what the word I am means? So when, when it says I am that I am. The Hebrew word there is Ahaya. H-A-Y-A-H. And you know what that word means? The most high. The most high. No one can comprehend the most high but he himself. This is the point. Right? What did he say to the rest of Israel? My ways are higher than your ways. So huh? My thoughts higher than your thoughts. Who can comprehend, Job said. Who can understand? Who can question God, right? We got these all throughout Scripture. They could have put a whole bunch more in here. They're just giving you proof text for why we believe what we believe. Amen? This isn't, this isn't my words. This isn't even embellished upon. They're just saying we believe that God is incomprehensible. Psalms pretty much says that, right? Who can search and know your ways? 
that's pretty self-explanatory, right? Now, I'm not going to go in depth in all this, but there's a lot more of this that I want to read. The doctrine of God, okay? And this is just a portion of it. We're talking about God, the Holy Spirit, or God and the Holy Trinity, right? So we're going to finish reading this, and I'm going to start from the beginning. The Lord our God is but one only and living and true God, whose substance is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every, uh, every way, the count, uh, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You guys know that verse in Hebrews, right? And with all most just and terrible in his judgment, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. And there are Bible verses for every single number. Go ahead and scroll down, okay? Every single number in that paragraph has Bible verses tied to it. Why we believe, because that's what the Bible teaches about God. Amen? Not because I just pulled it out of the air. Amen? This is pure theology when you read the Bible and say, this is what the Bible teaches about God. Amen? Now, there's a couple other spots in here, and it would be more difficult to actually go through that to look them up. I have a little book here in front of me that I want to just go through a few things uh, about who God is. Okay? Now, paragraph two, if we wanted to go and read it, is all about God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself and is alone in and unto himself, all sufficient, not standing in the need of any creature with he, which he has made. Now, this is very important because there is a heresy that is taught nowadays that I want to talk about. This is the heresy that's taught nowadays. God felt so empty without you. That he felt like he was missing something. So he saved you. Because you're so valuable. And you somehow complete God. Well, this is a false idea of who God is. Because God's all sufficient. God, is, God doesn't need me. God didn't create me. Even God didn't go, oh, I just have this need inside. I feel lacking in any... If God ever felt like he was lacking, he ain't God. You can't be all-sufficient, all-knowing, self-existent, and still need something. Amen? God, the Bible says, and this, this is what your answer should be to anybody who goes, well, why'd God make us? Here's the answer. The Bible says that God created us for his good pleasure. He done it because it pleased him to do so. That's why God made us. Not because he needed us. Not because he needed somebody to worship. Not because he needed anybody to talk to. We got to remember, we also believe God is what? Triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Got counsel of his own will. Says that in the first paragraph, right? What counsel of his own will? It's because he himself, self-existent, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're never alone. They're perfectly together all the time. Amen. We got to quit. We got to quit making up theology on the fly. Amen. Here's another one that I want to talk about. Uh, paragraph three uh, of this same chapter about God. It says in this divine and infinite being, there are three substances, the father, the word or the son and the Holy Spirit of one substance, power, 
and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit, proceeding from God the Father and the Son, all infinite without beginning. Therefore, but one God who is not to be divided in nature and in being, but distinguished by several particular relative properties and personal relations. Which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him? And that chapter three, scroll down for me. You'll see again verses for every part, every statement made. Amen? Not pulling it out of thin air. People go, well, the Trinity ain't even in the Bible, is it not? Do you not see at Jesus' baptism the Father talking, the Son in the water, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove? They're all three there, all at the same time. The Father's talking from heaven. Jesus is being baptized in the water and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. Amen. These things are not things made up. They're things that are clearly in Scripture. Jesus, although he is the Son of God, what did he say of himself? I and the Father are one. Amen. Jesus said, I'll send you another comforter. He'll be like me. And he will be with you. And then he says, I'll be in you because I'm sending the comforter. Well, how's he going to be in me? Because the Holy Spirit is not separate from Christ. Yet there's still three persons. Amen. Next, we're still talking about the doctrine of God. So we've, we've narrowed down that God is the beginning of all things self-existent. We also have the understanding from paragraph two that all of us uh, understand that God doesn't need us but created us for his own good pleasure. Amen. He further, if whatever he did, he further pleased himself to require us to worship him. Amen. And then we talk about, we go on to talk about God's decree, which I didn't necessarily want to put in the doctrine of God in a sense, but God has decreed himself from the beginning of all eternity. Romans chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me, I'm going to show you a verse, and I'm not going to get into this in great detail, because Kyle's going to go through some of this in our discipleship class, but I want to show you in Romans what we're talking about. Uh, it's, I believe it's verse 16, right? No, that's not it. I bet I can find it if I look at this thing. No, no. <clears throat> Just one second. I lost my place. You know where I'm at? Tell me where I'm at. Yeah, 119. 119. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Who's they? The whole world. Amen. The whole world is without excuse for not believing in God because God has made himself known. He's decreed himself. And this ain't even in the list of verses. If you uh, go to chapter three, Matt, uh, God's decree, right? It's not even in the list. Okay. The verse that when I tell you there's more verses that can back these statements up, there's more verses that can back these up. They only put in a few so that you can know that we're not pulling this out of the thin air. Amen. 
But the reality is where it says God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most uh, wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever shall come to pass. Okay? What he's saying is God has made himself known. But they're going a step further and talking about God decrees or declares the happenings of the universe. Right now we live in an age where Christians think God is some old man sitting on a throne with a beard. And he's just kind of lazily watching over things. And every once in a while when people get in trouble, he'll go, oh, let me pull you out of that real quick. And then some other people, he don't pull them out of it because, you know, obviously he just don't care about them. But that's not how it works. God is in control of all things. Good and bad in my life, God either caused the good or allowed the bad because he has a purpose and a reason and a, a method to get me to conform to the image of Christ. Amen. He doesn't just give me only good and never let me go through trials or hardships or hurts. That's not promised to us in Christ. There's people out there teaching that, oh, you can walk over any circumstance, walk over any of this and walk over it. You cannot. And those people that are telling you that, they don't either. They don't. Oh, bless you, sister. If you really had faith, you'd be healed from a person with seven bypasses. Okay? They're, they're lying charlatans. Nearly every person that tells you, oh, if you just have enough faith, have had to go to the doctor, had to get a bank loan, come on, had to have their brother or their sister or somebody help them move. It didn't just magically happen. Amen? Let's stop being retarded, okay? And I don't mean to mean that in a bad way, okay? Let's stop retarding the process of our growth, okay? What I mean is statements like that slow us down. They slow down our growth. You realize the word retard is an actual engineer term. You retard timing. You can retard the process of growing algae by putting chemicals in there that slows it down. They call that retarding the process, okay? I'm not talking about retarded in a bad sense. I'm talking about the fact that we let other things like this into our faith instead of what the Bible teaches retards our process of growing in Christ. It slows it down because we're running after things that are not biblical. We're running after things that are not taught in Scripture. We're running after things that the apostles didn't do. All because somebody thinks that it'd be better to tell people this than the truth. Amen? Now, for everybody that's going to watch this and get mad at me for using the word retarded, I apologize. <clears throat> Let's keep going before I get lost on that one. <laughs> My wife cringed. I know she did. Let's, let's talk about another one. I want to go uh, chapter 4 about creation. This is another part about God. And I don't, I know we, the reason why I wanted to do the doctrine of God is because we just went through chapter 1 of Genesis about creation. Amen? Creation. In the beginning, it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For the manifestation of his glory, uh, for the manifestation of glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness to create or to make the world and all the things therein, whether visible or invisible in the space of six days and all very good. Amen. This is a very congenial statement, but first John Hebrews Job, Romans 1.20, Colossians 1.16, Genesis 1 and 31. These are all things that are foundational biblical understandings of who God is. God created things not for me 
not for you, but because it pleased him to do so and to show his own glory and power. Amen? God didn't go, I'm going to do this so they'll worship this other guy. No. God said, what? You shall have no other gods before me. You're not going to worship any other god, right? Why would he make a prohibition not to worship any other gods and then do something to glorify somebody else? That doesn't make any sense. Amen? Remember what I said about rational explanations for, for Scripture? Amen? It doesn't have to be completely irrational. As a matter of fact, the Christian faith takes... Paul says... You need to be renewed in what? The spirit of what? Your mind. That's what Paul said, right? I have to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. Why? Because I once had the wrong idea about God, and now I have the right idea about God. And Paul is speaking from experience. As a Jew, as a Pharisee of Pharisees who thought he knew God, but then met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Amen? So when we talk about the doctrine of God, we're talking about what we fundamentally believe about God. And we don't talk about, I believe this because, you know, I just think this is good. I believe it because this is what the Bible teaches about God. Amen? Not what I want it to say, but what it really does say. Amen? Uh there's a couple more that I wanted to touch on real quick. I know I talked about punishment, divine providence. We could go into that. That is something that is, is thoroughly missed in modern day Christianity. The providence of God. God working all things to the counsel of his own will. That's why... When bad things happen and Christians start going, oh no, why'd God let this happen? I start going, do you really believe in God? Because if you believe God is, look, every person in every church, if you ask them this question, let me ask this question. I'm going to ask it like I'm asking everyone. I'm going to look all you in the face, okay? Look, do you believe that God is all-powerful? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Now we got that cleared up. Do you believe that God is in control? So, now that we've cleared up that God is in control and God is almighty, we cannot now look back and go, oh no, what's God doing? Because in that, what's God doing is I don't trust you. Lord, I don't know if I don't know if this is right, God. I don't know. I don't know if this is right. God looked at Abraham and said, "Hey, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Go put him on that altar over there, and I want you to kill him." Abraham could have did just what we did. God, this ain't right, God. I don't. I don't know about all this, God. You, you know, you don't ask something really dumb, really crazy. I can't do this, God. But he didn't do that. Why? You can hear it in Abraham's answer. He told his servants before he went over the mountain. He said, look, me and the lad are going to go over here and worship. And we'll return. Not I'll return. We'll return. Because he knew that even if God took Isaac, that God could give Isaac back to him. And Abraham fully expected that. I'm telling you, faith in Christ isn't just saying, I believe in good times. It's saying when all the world's going wrong, when nothing's going right, saying I don't care what it looks like, I don't care what it feels like, but I know God is, God's working out his plan for my life. I told you my story about getting diagnosed with diabetes. I could have said the same thing. Oh, you know, I just didn't have enough faith. That's baloney. I can't preach about God being in control, God being sovereign and almighty, and then go, well, 
The devil must beat God on this one. No, the devil don't win. The devil's only allowed to do what God lets him do. Period. He's got a leash, and whenever God says, nope, he pulls it back. But even when you're tested, even when you're tempted, even when you're going through hard times, God's got a plan. And there's a reason. And we don't know this stuff anymore because we don't teach the providence of God anymore. The providence of God is that no matter what happens, I know God is in control. And that is how I know that in the, uh, go back up to uh, uh, chapter 3. Chapter 3, right here. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever that come to pass. I believe that not just in the history of the world, but in my life. No matter what comes to pass in my life, the God of all the universe that's in control of all things, that's sovereign over all things, Whatever happens in my life, God has decreed it to come to pass. And I'm going to give him glory in the middle of it, whether it's for my good or my bad or whether it's a struggle, whether it's, come on, we got to do it right. We can't just believe uh, one part of it and not the other, amen? We can't just go, well, I believe God's in control, but, amen, we, got, we need to get our butts out of the way, amen, in, in more than one way. We need to get our butts out of the way. Because God's in control. Amen? Come on. We do. I could have freaked out about diabetes, but in the, you know, I told you because I've been preaching on the sovereignty of God for almost seven months, I couldn't, I couldn't preach about the sovereignty of God and then not believe it. Amen? I was come face to face with an opportunity to trust God through a circumstance. Amen? How many of you ever come face to face to trust God through a circumstance? Right? I know, I know some people have. Okay? And trusting God through circumstance isn't about God blessing me. It's about God, I don't care what you do in this situation. I'm trusting you. No matter what. Whether it's for my good or my bad. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. what they say? I know my God is able. But even if he don't, I'm not going to bow down and worship that golden idol. Come on. That's trusting the providential care of God. That is saying, I, I know my God can save me, but I don't know my God's will. How many of you know you don't know God's will for your life? How many of y'all don't know your own will tomorrow for your life, okay? Like, you got a good idea, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go to work, but you don't know everything that's going to happen in your day. Now, here's the shocking thing. We talked about a uh, night before, the not last uh, evening service, but the one before that, that God is not shocked at who does and doesn't receive the gospel. We are. We're like, oh man, I never thought they'd get saved. God doesn't do that. God doesn't sit back and go, oh, I just didn't see that one coming. Because he's in control. Amen. amen? Yeah. Let's get back to the God that is in control. Amen? Nobody in Egypt died except the people God intended to die. You believe that? All the people put the, their, by, by their own free will, they put the blood over the doorposts, right? But God told them, God warned them, and they listened. Amen? We need to have a correct biblical understanding of who God is. And we're going to finish this, uh, what is today, Sunday? Okay, we're going to finish the doctrine of God Wednesday. We're going to finish this up because I got more, but I don't want to overwhelm you since I started off with all these big words like theology and hermeneutics and exegesis <laughs> you know what I mean but we need this stuff we need to be able to give an answer and not just one of those well God's in control I, you know how many times I hear people say well God's in control and then when something bad happens they run into you 
Why are you running to me? I want you to pray for me, Pastor. Have you prayed? No, I just need you to pray for me. You don't have faith in God. You have faith in the pastor. That's hard. That's a hard message, I know. Now, I, I will pray with anybody, and I'll pray with anybody that ever calls me, comes to the house, whatever, okay? I'm not making a case that I shouldn't have to pray with you, okay? What I'm saying is our idea about God changes, and when I ask the question, have you prayed about it, it'll be different. Yes, I've been praying about this. Will you pray with me? I want to know what God's will is in this situation. Amen? And maybe God will tell you. Maybe God won't. Amen? Maybe God will reveal it. Maybe he won't. But it's all about trusting God. Amen? If you want to have a better trust for God, have a biblical idea of who God is. Amen? You're not going to trust a God that you... That, that can change at, 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 with your emotions. If your faith in God is based on your emotions, then your faith in God is very fragile. But if your faith in God is based on what God's word teaches about who God is, what God does, and who he is in our life, then your faith is going to be based on some very strong things. Jesus said, any man that hears my words and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And when the storms come and the winds blew and the sea beat upon that house, it did not fall. Amen? You want a solid foundation? It's not just Jesus. People say, oh, my foundation's on Jesus. He didn't say that. He said, my words. He said, if you listen to my words and do them, I'll liken you unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for everyone who came tonight. Lord, I thank you that in everything that we do, Lord, we seek to glorify you in our life. Lord, we ask that you would help us to have a better understanding of who you are. Lord, we pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth in your word, God. Pray that you would reveal it to our hearts and our minds, that we would receive it, and more importantly, apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help each, each and every one of us to be workmen that do not need to be ashamed, but we know how to rightly divide the word of truth. We ask for your help, for your grace, and for your mercy when we fail you. Pray for your blessing as we leave this place. And help us to understand that we may be leaving this building, but we do not leave your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.